I've made my fair share of mistakes this year and also learned so many lessons. In this episode, I am rounding up my top 23 lessons of 2023. I cannot believe I am recording the last episode of 2023. I truly feel like this year blew by. And I think every single year around this time, I say the exact same thing, but I feel like this year truly blew by. And I had a lot of fun writing up my thoughts for this episode because it was a good reflection exercise. And I decided to do 23 lessons because we're in 2023. But I also encourage you to take the time to also reflect on your learnings too so that you can truly get everything you can out of them, learn from any mistakes or hiccups that happened, and just ensure that you are able to take those into the new year. And like I mentioned, this is going to be the last episode of the year. We are going to come back in January with some really exciting episodes. We have planned out a lot of our topics for next year, and there's also a lot of new exciting things on the horizon that I cannot wait to share. This will be the last episode of the year, and then we'll be back with a new episode on January 10th. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, please do so, so when we are back, the new episodes will be automatically downloaded. And if you haven't already, please leave us a positive rating and or review if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes such a big difference and we really want to scale our impact and be able to reach more people next year. So please do that if you haven't already. Additionally, if you know someone that would benefit from this episode or from our Recloseted Radio podcast in general, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with them, either in your Instagram stories or through a text message, whatever is easiest for you. But the biggest way a podcast grows is through word of mouth. And I really want to make sure that I'm able to scale our impact next year. That's a really big focus for us because we cannot transform the fashion industry alone. We need to make sure that there's as many people involved as possible. And we are just continuously growing this movement. Long story short, it would mean the world to me if you would share. And I really hope that my resources continue to help you and also help people that you know as well. And without any further ado, let's dive into my first big lesson. Join the slow fashion revolution with Recloseted Radio. As the number one podcast for fashion entrepreneurs with a conscience, we're here to help you reach new heights. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted, and I'm on a mission to share my insider knowledge and strategies for launching a successful sustainable brand, growing your existing slow fashion business, and making your brand more environmentally friendly. I also invite industry experts to share their stories and insights too. So subscribe and let's get to work on transforming the harmful fashion industry. My first lesson is really around mental health, and I've done a few episodes toward the back half of this year around what to do when you aren't feeling motivated in your business, and we'll have those linked in the show notes. But basically, I also just felt a lot of sadness and anxiety come up this year, and obviously at different points throughout the year. But I had a mentor of mine tell me that these are feelings that you can actually do something about and you can look at these emotions as ways for you to deal with what's going on. Let me explain what that means. With sadness, typically we feel that because we have a lack of options. We feel hopeless because we just don't know what to do and that bogs us down and we feel sad. With anxiety, that typically happens because you have too many options. So it's the opposite of sadness. 
So you may feel overwhelmed. You may feel like you don't know what to do next, and it just might feel really just a lot. The first thing is to really figure out which camp you're in. Are you in the sadness camp because you don't have a lot of options, or are you in the anxious camp because you have way too many options? Once you know which situation you're in, you can then act accordingly. And it was just really refreshing to hear that it's okay to feel a certain type of way because your mind and your body is just reacting to what's going on. But instead of sitting and then spiraling in your emotions, feeling sad that you're sad, or feeling anxious that you're anxious, and then spiraling, it's way more helpful to identify the feeling, figure out what's happening, why this is going on, and then obviously try to fix it. In the case if you feel a lot of sadness because you don't have a lot of options, then the solution could look like finding a mentor, joining a program, finding other people in similar situations as yourselves, and just talking to them and seeing how they got through it. But it's really a knowledge gap here, and you just need to either learn something or a few things to figure out what you could do moving forward, so that you have options, and then you can get yourself out of this sadness slump. On the flip side, if you're anxious because there's too many options, it could be something similar. Like you could talk to other people that have been in similar situations as yourself and see what they did. You could also ask a mentor, or maybe it's just a matter of you sitting down. Spending maybe an hour writing down everything you need to do, and then just prioritizing it, delegating it, or delaying things. It could just be a prioritization exercise. But all this to say, the first big lesson for me this year around my emotions was that it's okay to feel what you feel, but you can still act in spite of your feelings. Instead of ruminating and sitting in the sadness, or ruminating and sitting in the anxiety. Use it as a sign, or almost as a tool, that something's going on, and you need to fix it. And you can fix it. You just need to go forth and identify: is it a lack of options, or is it too many options? And then just proceed accordingly. And that's been so much more productive, and so much better for my mental health too. Because instead of just sitting there and ruminating, you're actually taking action steps forward, so that you can. Feel a little bit better and feel like you're chipping away at your goals. My second big lesson this year was around failure and being able to reframe how I looked at it. When we talk about failure, it's definitely a loaded word, and in society, people try to avoid failure at all costs. And because of that, a lot of people end up living small or staying small, right? Like people don't want to fail, so they won't go off and start their dream business. People don't want to fail, so they won't apply for that. Job promotion or whatever it is, right? We try to protect ourselves by insulating ourselves and by telling ourselves that it's fine this way because quote unquote failing is so much worse. And upon digging deeper, I realized for me at least, failure isn't so much what other people think. I think I would be lying if I was sitting here and telling you that I don't care at all what people think. But I do truly believe that over the past. Half a decade of doing this, I am definitely a lot more aware of whose opinions I actually care about, and mine is obviously at the top of the list. I really care about what I think. In order not to disappoint myself, I will go out and try things. For me personally, it's not really a hundred percent about what other people think. I realized I don't like failure because I don't like doing wasted work. And when I say wasted work, this is in huge quotation marks because. 
in the past, I would do something with recloseted or even with my personal life and I would give it my all. I would put in my blood, sweat and tears because I am not someone that is going to do a half good job. I go all out. And then if it doesn't go according to plan, I start to spiral and I'm like, oh my God, I wasted so much time. I wasted so much energy. And in some cases, I wasted a lot of money as well. That is just such a sucky feeling because there's nothing that grinds my gears more than quote unquote wasted work. Because again, it's that opportunity cost, right? I could have taken my time, my energy, my budget and spent it elsewhere and done something else. And maybe that would have worked. However, I've now reframed failure and I've realized that every single thing I do, I learn something or a bunch of things. And from that, I as a person get better. Instead of trying to build your business to reach your goal immediately and be successful immediately, see the process of you becoming a really strong entrepreneur as what success truly is. I've realized that the skills and the lessons you gain along the way and the person you become is the output, not the quote-unquote success or the reaching of the goal but the skills you gain and the person you become. And if that is now what success is, it all of a sudden removes all this pressure to do everything perfectly, have everything go right, which let's be real, that never happens. We don't have a crystal ball. Instead of being afraid of what other people think and also wasting work, it's really the process of getting skills getting lessons, and becoming the type of entrepreneur you need to become to be successful. Everything is fleeting and can be taken away from you at the end of the day, but the one thing no one can ever take away from you is your skills. Your skills to make money, your skills to build a business, your skills to lead a team, your skills to build a product that people actually want and need. These are all skills that you have, and if you develop these skills in the process of building your business, And even if your business doesn't reach like a gajillion dollars, I still think that's immense success because that is your personal insurance. You are able to take that to the bank, start another business if you need to, figure out how to succeed in corporate if you need to as well. But that is your personal insurance. And that's been something that has been really life changing for me because all of a sudden it again like alleviates that pressure. For everything to go well, for everything I do to quote unquote succeed. And it's, yeah, it's just been really, really game changing for me. And I hope it's helpful for you as well. My third lesson is that you need to spend time on your business. And hear me out. I know you might be listening to this and be like, yeah, no duh. You need to spend time on your business. But let me explain. Building an empire and building a business takes time and effort. It does not happen overnight. I've talked about that before. And for me personally this year, I did a lot of traveling. I had a lot of business and client trips. I had a lot of conferences. I also had some personal vacations. I got engaged this year, as you may know. And so I've been all over the place and I've been back and forth between Vancouver and London. And it's been super taxing on me. I know on one hand, I'm super privileged and I love that I get to explore the world and call it my job. But traveling all the time takes away from your everyday routine and jet lag honestly sucks. It it was a lot. And I think as a result of that, a lot of my progress and a lot of what I wanted to do this year suffered a little bit. And I wasn't able to accomplish everything I wanted because I am not a machine. 
And I've talked about that on the podcast before. Like we need to be gentle and compassionate towards ourselves. And yeah, it, it was just, I think the reality of how this year was set up for me, at least because I was traveling so much and I wasn't in one place for like longer than four weeks, let's say, which you know, four weeks is a long time to kind of get back into your routine, get back into the groove of things. And then if you're off again, it kind of just throws everything off. So lesson for me next year is just really making sure that I am more diligent about how much I'm traveling. I set boundaries. If I don't think things are going to be worth my time to go, like I won't go. That's just something for me personally. On top of just the traveling piece, though, I also wanted to talk a little bit about working on weekends. I know a lot of the times on the podcast, I'll talk a lot about work-life balance and making sure that you are taking care of yourselves. And 100%, I still believe in that because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your business, you can't take care of your to-do list, you can't show up for your loved ones, all that stuff. But at the same time, if you are an entrepreneur and you're not working set nine to five working hours, Monday to Friday, which is totally fine, by the way, you can work whenever you want to work. But if you're just not working those set hours and you're traveling and then you need to work on the weekends, it's totally fine. I felt not shameful of working weekends, but I just felt kind of weird about it. I used to work weekends all the time when I was side hustling recloseted and it wasn't a big deal. It was just like, this is what I have to do. But now that this is my quote unquote sole job or only job or whatever, it just feels a little bit weird that I need to still work weekends. And at the end of the day, I've realized that you need to set aside time to spend on the business. The business does not care when this time is. It just cares that the work gets done and time is spent. So it does not matter if I'm working weekends. And the goal at the end of the day is to have a job that you do not need a break from, but you have a career and you have built something that sustains you, brings you passion and brings you joy. That was something I worked through this year. It, it was just a reality of the situation I was put in because I was just working kind of whenever I could, slivers of time. And I really feel like at the end of the day, if you feel good, you're not burnt out and you know you could get some more work done and work brings you joy. You do not have to feel guilty or you do not have to be shameful that you're working on the weekend. The nine to five work week and the weekend kind of culture, I really feel like it could use a, an overhaul. And the traditional nine to five work week was made for people that worked at certain corporations. You're an entrepreneur. You make your own hours. That's one of the reasons why you probably started this anyways, right? Get rid of the guilt. And if you need to work on the weekends, it's totally fine. You're just in a season of hustle. And if your work brings you joy, there's nothing to feel guilty or shamed about. I also wanted to drive this point home with some math actual real math and not girl math. But basically, there's 104 weekend days in a year. And out of the 365 days, that's a lot of days and that's a lot of time. And if you could just work for some of those weekend days, if you wanted to, you could make so much more progress. Again, don't feel bad or icky or whatever. If your working hours look different, if you need to work on the weekend, it's all good because bringing it all back home to my lesson, which is you need to spend time on your business. And your business does not care when that time is, what that looks like. It just cares that the work gets done. Lesson number four is to take time on your strategy. I know I have talked about the importance of setting up your strategy so many times on the podcast before, and you likely know this, 
But I just wanted to illustrate this and bring this point home with a story or an example. Let's say there's two people and they both want to chop down a tree. Both of them are given dull axes and one person just starts hacking away because they just want to start making progress. They just want to do something. And it's kind of like the throw things at the wall, see what sticks type of thing. So they're just going at it. They're just hacking away with this dull axe and trying to just muster their way through. The second person takes their time to sit down and start sharpening the axe. And while the first person might be hacking away for two hours, maybe they rest, whatever, the second person sharpens the axe for two hours and then they're able to cleanly slice the tree through. I wanted to give this example to show you that a lot of the times we just do progress and just throw things at the wall because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're making progress. It makes us feel like we're moving forward and achieving our goals. In reality, it could be actual wasted work. Not the wasted work when I was talking about failures and you set up your strategy and you tried and you just didn't have the knowledge or something went wrong. But this is actual wasted work because you didn't think things through and you're just hacking away at this tree with a dull axe just because you want to. And I realized that sometimes I will do things just to feel productive and feel good about myself, but honestly, I should have probably thought twice. So spend the time to sharpen your axe. Spend the time on your strategy so that when you execute it, you know it works and it's a clean slice through. I used to spend about 80% of my time throwing random things out there and seeing what worked because, again, it just made me feel like I was productive and it made me feel like I was making progress. Now, though, I've realized that I just don't have the time for that anymore. I don't have the energy and it's just a lot of wasted resources. I've gotten to the place where I'm now thinking strategically 50% of the time and then we're executing 50% of the time because when we strike, we know it'll hit and it'll have a higher likelihood of succeeding. Again, this is not rocket science. I am not the first person that's ever probably told you that you need to take time to think about your strategy and the long-term vision of your business, but take this as a sign to actually, you know, in the quieter weeks, perhaps you can block off some time in your calendar. Think deeply about where you want to take your business and how you can get there and just sharpen your axe instead of just throwing things at the wall. Lesson number five is to identify the bottleneck in your business. At every single point in your business, something will be the bottleneck. Once you identify it, you want to make sure you improve it, you fix it, and then once you do that, something else will now be clogged and will be the new bottleneck. As an example, if you're not getting enough traffic to your business, then that is definitely your first big bottleneck. But once you get enough traffic and you fix it, maybe this new traffic isn't being warmed up and nurtured enough. And that's why you're not making sales. And so you go from having a traffic bottleneck to now having a nurture bottleneck. So at every single stage, you need to know where the bottleneck is, where the clog is so that you can fix it and then figure out what the next clock is, basically. It's just an endless game of figuring out the bottleneck, improving it, fine-tuning it, and then figuring out where it is now. Lesson number six is about sales. Send to my 50 lessons I learned after five years in business episode, which I will leave down below, then you know that I already had some sales lessons halfway into the year. But I had some more in the last half of the year as well. I've talked about this before, but you do need to have something you're selling all the time. 
Because if you don't have a product and you don't have something available to someone, then it makes sense that you are not making money. And on top of that, though, it can't just be any old product that you're just pushing out there and hoping people will buy. It needs to be a validated product that people actually need and they actually want. And after that, you then need to actively sell it to make sales. Because if you never talk about it, people won't know about it. And if people don't know about it, they're obviously not going to buy it. So it's a combination of just having something that's been validated that you know works, having it available all the time, and then actively working on selling it. Lesson seven is really around sales and giving value. So if you think about it, at the end of the day, you're giving someone value either through a product or a service, and in return, they're going to compensate you. And so if you don't make a sale, it's because the amount you asked for is lower than the value that they think they're going to get. Let me repeat that. They don't think that they're going to get X dollars of value, which is why they are hesitant to hand over their hard-earned cash for your product. And really think about how you can increase value in your product or your service rather than just discounting price all the time. And I really think it's important that your ideal customer recognizes the benefit and sees the value to the items you are selling so that you can make the sale. In the case of a lot of our clients that are selling clothing because they have a sustainable fashion brand, it's really around their products. Does it actually solve a problem? Can it be worn multiple different ways? And, you know, what are the features? What are they going to get out of this? And that is really important to express and communicate to the ideal customer so that they get it and the value of the piece goes up. If you aren't making sales and you have something you're selling all the time and you're telling people about it, then maybe it's the way you're telling people about it, the fact that you're not marketing and selling it in a very great way. If you think about it in the context of dating, if you're trying to meet your future person, your partner, whatever, you're obviously going to spend some time to market yourself and sell yourself in the best light. You're going to make sure that they know about all the great things about you, your pros, and you're going to try to hide your cons. It's the exact same thing in this scenario. You want to make sure that they see the benefit and they see the value so that you can make the sale. Lesson number eight is around marketing. When it comes to marketing, I have given you a lot of strategies, a lot of tactics, and a lot of tips throughout the entire duration of Recloseted Radio. However, I worked with a lot of clients this year that needed some help on the business side of things, and we were working on their marketing strategy. I noticed that a lot of them were really resistant around either starting their brand, starting their profiles, and or taking their profiles to the next level. And the common thread through all of that was that they just put a lot of pressure on themselves for every single post to perform, for their accounts to go viral, or for their things to blow up. And there was just a lot of pressure on it. And it kind of goes back to my earlier point around like the fear of wasted work. Like, What's the point of creating this content if it only lasts for a day and then it disappears and I spent like 30 minutes on it, and if it doesn't get enough likes or not enough people follow me or no one buys something, like what's the point kind of thing? But I feel like that's missing the broader point because again, you're going to develop your marketing skills, your content creation skills, your creativity, all this stuff. It's not wasted work, but also 
beyond that, I've realized that we need to reframe how we think about marketing and content creation. And instead of having so much pressure around things performing, instead go into it with the mindset of having fun and falling in love with creating something. I know that's easier said than done because we are wired to try to make things go viral, make things have an ROI, whatever. But I'm telling you, just have fun with it and fall in love with it. And in that way, you create content that you actually like and is enjoyable. And that will ensure you are more consistent, you post more frequently. And also, I think it just comes across as refreshing and genuine. So don't go into this with the expectation of creating something that goes viral. Go into this with the expectation and the standard of just having fun with it and being creative and flexing those creativity muscles because you can build the muscle of making really, really good content. Don't get me wrong, like don't just post stuff and then never look at it and see how it's doing. Like it's still important to analyze and look at it and all this stuff, but just remove some of that pressure. And then that way you actually have enough stuff out there that brings you joy and hopefully other people joy too. And you have enough data to actually improve and get better. Lesson nine is what gets measured gets done. Again, common sense. And I am hopefully not the first person to tell you this, but I experienced this firsthand this year because last year I was definitely a little bit more lax in the targets. And I was like, yeah, 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 we'll get there when we get there. And we had like financial targets and goals, but I didn't fully flesh out what it meant on a month-to-month, day-to-day basis, like what that looked like. And I know I tell my clients to do that. I definitely feel like a hypocrite here. But this year, we were a little bit better on it. And going into next year, I'm fully going to flesh it out because, you know, again, like I was throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, seeing what stuck. And in the process of doing that, it's so hard to set targets if you're just trying a bunch of stuff all the time. So that, again, is why it's so important to think about your strategy, really, really think through it, and then set the targets, figure out what the roadmap to get to those targets look like so that you can actually get there, and then measure it because what gets measured gets done. So as an example, we now have like a sales Slack channel. We now have a target Slack channel. So every single day we do updates so that we know if we're on or off track. And if we're off track, then we know what to do. If we're on track, we look at what's working, you know, all that stuff. But what gets measured and what gets scrutinized gets done. So you cannot just ignore things. You need to know what your progress is. And then, of course, you want to have KPIs or key performance indicators for the team and for every single person as well. So everyone knows what they're working on, and how it's going to help the business move forward. Lesson number 10 is that the best leader cares. If you truly want to be a good leader, then you need to care about the people on your team and you need to genuinely want to help them grow. You need to nurture them and mentor them because it will be better for you because you're going to gain a lot of leadership skills in the process and obviously they're going to benefit from this mentorship as well. But for the business, if everyone on your team is constantly up-leveling, they love showing up to work, they're excited to be in work, then that's just so much better for your business as well. Definitely care about your team. And I like to lead not through fear, but through inspiration and trying to get to the same place. And I feel like the culture you create is so important. You've probably heard of some toxic work cultures you are given golden handcuffs, you're paid so much, the hours suck, you're treated not great. 
And that's just not the type of culture I want to build because yes, you can create high performing teams, but these people burn out and they cycle out like every two years if they can even last two years. And that's not what I'm trying to do at Recloseted. I'm trying to really pave this new type of leadership where you care about your team, you are compassionate and you mentor them and it's a good investment in the business, but also in these people as well. So yeah, all this to say the best type of leader cares and I've in my career like experienced some not great leaders and also some amazing leaders. I'm trying to obviously channel the latter. Lesson 11 is instead of blaming someone, fix the process gaps. If a deadline is missed, if something falls through the crack on the team, instead of going and blaming the person, try to take a hard look at your processes and see how you can ensure this does not happen again. If a deadline is missed, how can you better communicate deadlines on the team? How can everyone know when things are due? How can people work backwards and really ensure that they can meet those deadlines? That's important. And I'm not saying that if a deadline is missed, you shouldn't have a stern conversation with your team member. But instead of placing the blame on them, it's more so, okay, this is an unacceptable situation. It is not your fault. It is both of our faults because maybe I didn't communicate the deadline enough. Maybe we didn't communicate how much work it was going to take. And then obviously they need to take ownership about the fact that they, you know, missed the deadline. You work together to then create a new system or something that works better for the both of you to ensure it doesn't happen again. That is much more productive than just pointing the finger, getting mad at someone, and then they're like scared to ever bring up anything to you again, right? And they're terrified into managing these deadlines, even if they still aren't set up for success instead of blaming someone, fix the process gaps. Beyond deadlines being missed though, if something isn't up to your standards, instead of going in and fixing it and just doing it for them, which is honestly what I used to do and I'm guilty of it, I still catch myself doing that. But if something isn't up to your standards, how do you better communicate to them what the standards are? And there's nothing too detailed or nothing too silly. So like note everything down. In our SOPs, we go so detailed. I note down font sizes, font alignment, stuff like that. I'm a little crazy, as you guys know. I'm quite type A. But there's honestly nothing too little or too inconsequential to put into an SOP, especially if you are someone that is a bit pickier like me and you really want to manage the brand, the client expectations, client experience, things like that, then it is important to have SOPs. Then on the flip side, implement a feedback loop too so that you can check things or someone that needs to be able to check things has the time to do that so that mistakes don't go out the door. You have multiple eyes on something and it can get reviewed. And building on top of that, lesson 12 is to have robust systems and leverage technology to help manage a team. Our team at Recloseted is pretty much fully remote And as a result of that, I still want to make sure we have a really strong culture. We're able to serve our clients, serve our community, but also feel connected with each other. And when I say robust systems and leverage technology, I don't mean that you need to sign up for like everything under the sun and need to have like all these advanced things. It's really just around breaking down what your team needs and then finding the tools that will help with that. So As an example, we use ClickUp. I've talked about it before. There's going to be a link for you down below if you want to check it out. But we leverage this because it is our project management software. We manage all of our quarterly projects, our monthly tasks, our deadlines, how long it takes us to do stuff. Like all of that is in ClickUp. 
And then we've now used Notion and Notion's great. We plan all of our content in there now. We plan all of our marketing stuff. All of our marketing SOPs are in there. It's just the database and the place to go when it comes to content. And then we use Google Drive for client work. We have folders, all that stuff. And then for internal team communication, we use Slack. So that's been really helpful to be able to just keep in touch and do all those things. But it is really important to have these systems in place so that everything is organized, everyone knows where everything is, and you can still feel connected even if you're a virtual team. Lesson 13 is always put your customers first. If you are a longtime listener of Recloseted Radio or you have attended any of my masterclasses or you're a client, then you know I talk about the customer first approach until I'm blue in the face and you're likely so sick of me talking about it. And I am so glad if you are sick of me talking about it because that means it is ingrained in your brain, which is great. But basically, if you haven't heard this spiel before, I'm going to do my whole spiel. But you want to put your customers first because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to be paying you money. They're the ones that are going to be supporting your business. And so you are in business to support them, to serve them, and to help them. That is it. And because of that, you want to make sure you get to know them inside and out. You know what their pain points are. You know what their problems are. And then you can create a validated product that actually solves those problems and pain points. Going all the way back to my sales point, it just is so much easier for you to sell the product. If you haven't recently, like talk to your customers, see what's going on, see what's new see what they need help with, see what they need support with. All those things are so important because you want to make sure that you're always putting your customers first. This is a continuous progress. And if you listen to my recent episodes around motivation and finding the motivation to continue building your business, even when you don't feel like it, you'll know that one of the tactics I talk about to reinvigorate that passion in your business is to actually go out and talk to your customers because these are the people you're trying to help and if you listen to some of their problems and pain points, it may bring that passion back again because you might be like, yeah, that sucks. I want to create a product to help you with that. We're going to work on this together. And it can just make you excited again. If it's been a while, I would really encourage you to interview some of your customers. And if you're an established business already, that's great. Interview your top five, top 10 customers. See why they love your brand, why they keep coming back, what they want next from you. And then maybe interview people that have only bought from you once and never came back. See what they are up to, see what they want from you, what improvements. Constantly talk to your customers. That is so important. Building upon that, lesson 14 is that you are not for everyone. Your business may not be for everyone. And guess what? That's okay. So long as you resonate with your ideal customer or your target customer, that is all that matters. And when I was first starting out in business, I feel like I put a lot of pressure to try to maximize all the different people that could work with us. And I tried to appeal to a lot of different people. But that just does not work because there are a lot of other businesses out there. And at the end of the day, if you were just trying to target this one specific persona, this one specific avatar, and you talk to them and you market to them and you design products that are just for them, it's going to be such a no-brainer for them to buy from you focus and know that it's okay that you're not for everyone. That is fine. Lesson 15 is around feeling jaded and that being okay. If you've had your business for a few years now, or you're like me and you're like five years into it, 
then you might not love it as much as you first did, and that is fine. Or you might have found out things about the industry you're in and feel a little bit deflated, or you feel like you're not as optimistic anymore. Like it's fine. And five years into things, obviously, I know a lot more about the industry. I've met a lot of people. I've gotten to talk to a lot of big companies and CEOs and all this stuff. With education comes more informed, not pessimism, but just more informed optimism, if you will. Right? It's still important to be hopeful and optimistic about the future that we can change things and things can get better. And there's a lot of technology and innovation happening. But at the same time, you also need to be realistic with where things are at, and that's where the education and being informed comes into play. But all this to say, it's fine if sometimes you feel a bit jaded or you feel a bit down. And my friend and I were talking about this. It's kind of like the activist life cycle, if you will. When you first get into activism, whether it's about sustainability or human rights or racism, like whatever it is. When you first start out, you're super motivated. You have a lot of energy. You have a lot of hope. You're all like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And then you start to learn more. You start to read books. You start to listen to podcasts. You go to events and all this stuff, and you just learn more. The more you learn, and the more quote-unquote informed you become, you maybe start to turn into a bit of a pessimist. That's okay because we need everyone in this quote-unquote activist life cycle, if you will. We need people constantly coming in. That are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and questioning things and have energy and have just that youthful energy to want to go out and do things. And then you need people that are wiser that can mentor these people. And so it is this life cycle, and I think it's important. And every single person serves a purpose. And even if you do feel jaded sometimes, that is okay. That's just a sign of you knowing what's going on and just being more educated and informed. And it's okay. But you don't want to just sit in it, though. I think it's important to talk to some people, reach out, so that you can be motivated again to make your contribution. Because a lot of the times it can feel like it's just on you or it's just on your business, and that is not the case. That is why I always talk about us being together and transforming the fashion industry because we are all in this together. Not one person, not one business can transform it. We need to all band and collectively work towards it. So yeah, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So it's okay if you feel jaded sometimes, but you still want to get back at it and try to turn that into some sort of like fire to continue to keep going. Lesson sixteen is to know when to stop consuming advice and start implementing. A mentor of mine calls this "quote unquote" mental masturbation, <laughs> and basically, what it is is. You know, reading all the books under the sun, listening to all the podcasts, watching all the YouTube videos, and then not really doing anything about it. In the moment, you feel like you're being productive because you're kind of learning things, you're listening to a bunch of stuff, and you feel like you're developing yourself. But at some point, it's just going in one year and out the other. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, I truly learn by actually doing things and implementing things. A big lesson for me this year was knowing that I have consumed a lot of books, I've consumed a lot of podcasts and all this stuff, and it's now getting to the point where I feel like a lot of books are kind of saying the same things or saying things I already kind of know. Sometimes it's a nice gentle reminder, but other times it's just like, okay, maybe your time is better spent actually doing the things. This was definitely a year where I went inward more. 
And I only really followed like a couple mentors' advice and I just really executed because you know what you got to do, right? You really know deep down what you need to be doing, what you want to achieve and how you're going to get there. And a lot of the times it's just procrastination to do the things and you may want to dive deeper into why you're procrastinating or why you're putting things off and dive into that and address it. But a lot of the times, you know what you need to do. You have the tools already. So you don't really need to read another book or you don't really need to like watch another YouTube video or whatever it is. That being said, though, if you actually need the skills, of course, go out and get them. I'm not saying that you should prevent yourself from learning, but you know, if you or just listening to stuff and not implementing it and you're just wasting your time and you're procrastinating. Have a conversation with yourself and look inwards and see, am I in a season right now of learning or am I in a season right now of implementing? And, you know, if you are in a season of implementing, then put your head down and just get to work and just tune out all the noise because you don't need to be wasting your time. Lesson 17 is to have the courage to do what you want. The first initial step is always so scary, whether it's quitting the job, starting the business, trying to charge more for a client, whatever it is, the first step is so scary. But once you start acting in accordance with your values and what you really want deep down, that scariness fades away and then you're on a roll and you almost can't stop having the courage to do what you want, if you know what I mean, because that feeling of being in alignment with yourself and that sense of inner peace is so exhilarating. And honestly, it's so addicting. I talked about this when I mentioned like my journey to quit my job and do recloseted full time and how it was the first time in my life I ever felt this type of peace. And I don't remember any other time in my adult life where I ever felt something like that and I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it but basically because that happened and I was like wow I finally feel like I'm in alignment with myself I finally feel I'm able to do what I want to do I finally have stopped caring and stopped listening to other people I've tuned out the noise and I've just really gotten quiet and listened to myself because I finally did that it felt so good and I was like okay what other areas in my life do I need to change? And how can I continue to feel this way? Once you do it, it just gets so much easier, but you just need to have the courage to do it. And trust me, your life is going to be so much better. Lesson 18 is all about haters. So whether you have haters or not, or, you know, whatever the situation is, I think a lot of people are scared to get hate or scared to quote unquote make enemies or whatever. But I really changed my mindset around this this year because I am definitely a recovering people pleaser. And it really bothers me when someone doesn't like me. But I've now realized that I am not for everyone. Recloseted is not for everyone. And that is fine. So long as our ideal target person knows us, likes us, gets value out of it, that's all that matters to me. However, that being said, it's still completely normal to still feel some type of way if someone tells you they don't like you or they just send you hateful things, right? Instead of wallowing in it and just ruminating and spiraling, I've learned now it's just a data point. That is it. Use it as a data point and move on. Don't try to wallow in it. Don't try to ascribe meaning to it because a lot of times it's just these like internet trolls or it's just a jealous competitor. Don't wallow in it. Don't waste your energy. 
I'm going to break it down. What I mean by using quote unquote haters as a data point is as follows. People behind you are probably sending you hate because they are jealous of where you're at and they're envious of you. So they're just throwing stones because they're envious of what you are doing and where you're at. Use that as a data point that you are probably doing the right thing and on the right track. People ahead of you may be scared that they are going to lose customers to you. They're going to lose market share. They're going to, you know, whatever, whatever the story is they're telling themselves. And if people ahead of you are sending you hate, then use that as a data point that you're probably on the right track if they are quaking in their boots because of you, right? Either way, whether they're ahead of you or behind you, use it as a sign that you are on the right track. That is it. I don't want you to be like, oh my God, this person doesn't like me because of this, this, and this. Or, oh my God, this person is making me feel like an imposter because they said this, this, and this. That is not the point of this. The point is it's simply a data point. Let it go. That's it. Because a lot of the times you're dealing with anonymous internet trolls and or people that just may be emotional and illogical and have their own stuff they need to work through. At the end of the day, if you're not getting hate, that's actually not a good sign because that means that A, you're not big enough and B, no one thinks you're on the right track and no one's intimidated by you. So if you reframe haters and hate in that regard, I think that you will be able to go through business a lot better. And it's not just about having thick skin. I feel like a lot of people sometimes you'll hear them be like, oh yeah, I have thick skin. Like that stuff just rolls off me. It doesn't bother me. I don't think the point is having thick skin. I think the point is recognizing hate for what it is. It's just a data point. It's just people either being envious or being scared and recognizing that they're probably dealing with their own stuff. Just send them compassion, even if in the moment you feel like you don't want to or they don't deserve it. Just send them compassion because they're working through their own stuff and obviously they're just projecting that onto you. Lesson 19 is who to take advice from. This is key. I feel like in the early stages of business, especially like when you're first starting out, everyone loves to give you their two cents, right? They're like, oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do that. Have you thought of that? Maybe you should do this. Everyone and their mom wants to give you advice. But you need to start to learn whose advice you want to take. And for me personally, I've recognized that I will just smile and appreciate that they're coming from a good place. But I will only now take advice from people who have done it or as Brene Brown likes to say, entered the arena. And that is it. Anyone else is just noise. For me now, I make sure I only listen to people that have done what I want to do or they're at where I want to be and or they have helped multiple other people just like me get to where I want to be. There's this story that Olympians tend to be awful teachers and coaches and you know that's fine. If you know someone that is where you want to be and they're not great at teaching you or mentoring you, that is fine. But if you can find someone that has also helped other people just like you get to where you want to be, then I would listen to their advice over your uncle at Thanksgiving dinner. Right? It's really important to take advice from people that have been there, have the experience, and actually have what you want versus just anyone under the sun. Because that is when you get overwhelmed. That is when you are building strategy, maybe not on the best data points. Really figure out and fine tune who you're going to take advice from. Lesson 20 is reframing saying no into saying yes to yourself. This is something that was huge for me this year as a recovering people pleaser, like I mentioned. 
because the people pleaser in me just always wants to say yes to things, always wants to give, 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 give. I am someone that struggles with overgiving. And with our clients, I think that's good because we give really, really good client service and experiences. But even in my personal life, I would overgive a lot. And then I realized that I overgave and then I burn out and then I'm resentful. And it's so unfair to the other person because they never asked me to give all this stuff and do all this stuff. I am now being better at monitoring myself and saying no to things and just setting those boundaries. And I know it's hard. I know that, but it takes time. And I think that you can set boundaries with friends, loved ones that understand and then kind of go from there. And the reframe that I mentioned is just reframing what no means because saying no to someone might cause a lot of anxiety, might cause you to feel guilty, might cause you to feel bad or whatever. But in saying no, you're saying yes to yourself. And at the end of the day, your relationship with yourself is the most important. It is so integral. And so you want to protect yourself, right? And I've now reframed it to, okay, I'm going to say yes to myself. And in order to do that, I need to politely decline this dinner or politely tell a client that like our time is up so that I can go work, right? It's really, really important to set those boundaries. And if you have a hard time to do that, maybe this reframe that's helped me will help you as well. Lesson 21 is that nothing really matters. I have been watching like just quarterly throughout this year, not like every single day because that would be weird. But quarterly throughout this year, I go on YouTube and I look at one of those videos where they zoom out on a city and then they just keep zooming out and it's planet Earth and then planet Earth becomes a speck of dust in the universe. It's just like one of those videos, which might seem weird or slightly psychotic, but basically it helps me remember that At the end of the day, nothing really matters. We're just all specks of dust and water in the universe that is floating around and just around for a blip of a second. And so live your life. Do your thing. If you want to start the business, start the business. If you want to close the business, go back to a nine to five job, do it. Just whatever you want to do because your life is short and nothing matters. So just do it. And I think if you're ever spiraling or feeling like something is the end of the world and being all melodramatic and stuff, Watch one of these videos. It really puts things into perspective. And then lesson 22 is a big one around friendships. I'm now at the stage of my life where I truly realize that quality is so much better than quantity. As an entrepreneur, when you're first starting out, most people will be supportive. Some people might judge you or you might hear from the grapevine that other people are like, yeah, she's doing this thing now. I have no idea why she's doing it. It's weird. But when you're starting out, most people should be supportive. And it's slightly messed up, but I kind of came to this theory with a friend of mine because maybe they just like aren't as threatened by you anymore because maybe your past colleagues were gunning for the same promotion or whatever. And now you've dropped out and you're going to run your business. So they're like, oh, yeah, go do your cute little business or whatever. Right. But as you gain success and you get more momentum, You might be a reminder of what they could have done too if they just had the courage to quit the job and make the sacrifices that you've made. And at that point, you're just like a living, breathing, potentially daily reminder of that. People get weird and they can start to like belittle your success or like talk behind your back and just know that obviously this has nothing to do with you. 
It's just them. They're projecting. There's stuff they need to work on. Just send them love and move on. There's no point ruminating in it. I know sometimes if it's like a close, close friend that you've known for a really long time, that can really hurt. And so, by all means, grieve the relationship. But if you have friends that cheer you on when you're down and when you succeed and push you to be better, those are the real ones. And I am so thankful I'm at a place in my life now where every single one of my friends is exactly that. It's taken like five plus years of pruning, and I think COVID really helped too because we weren't seeing a bunch of people. My circle is definitely smaller, but it is so much tighter, and just everyone in there is amazing. If you're going through something right now where you're finding out that certain friends actually don't have your back and actually don't have your interests at heart and actually aren't great friends, period, then prune them. I know it sounds cutthroat, but you don't need that toxicity in your life. There's So many people out there that would be a much better friend and be someone that deserves your kindness and your time and your love. It's all about quality, not quantity. Last but not least, lesson 23. I am now a firm believer that you can have it all, just not all at the same time. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but this year has really proved it to me. I feel like I went through so many seasons this year. I went through seasons of hustle where it was like intense work. I would work, 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 kind of during those like four weeks when I wasn't traveling. And then I would go and travel and I would rest. And then like I would be really connected with my partner. And like I mentioned, I got engaged. So like you can have it all. It's just not all at the same time. And I think my goal next year is to travel a little bit less and have more structure and have more routine, like I mentioned, but still recognize that there's seasons where I'm on my routine, I'm working out, I'm waking up early, I'm working, all this stuff. And then there's seasons where I'm home and I'm seeing my friends and I'm seeing my family members and I'm not working as much and that's fine. Just know that you can hold space for all of it and it's okay if it's not all at the same time. You can pick things back up again, you can go again, I know this episode is longer than our usual ones, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you have listened all the way up to now, take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. I would love to DM you and just like see which lessons you like the most, which ones you learned from, and also listen to what lessons you've had. Lastly, because this is our last episode of the year, I just wanted to give you a big virtual hug. If you're listening right now, thank you so much for being a part of our Recloseted community. It means the world to me. I hope that this episode is helpful for you and it also prevents you from making a lot of the mistakes that I made. And also, because it is the last episode of the year, I just wanted to wish you a really great holiday season. Take the time to rest, recuperate, be with your loved ones. But also, if you have the time for it, I would highly encourage you to think deeply and think strategically about your business, but also about your career in general too. Like use this time as blue ocean thinking and white space where you can really map out what you want the next year to look like. If you haven't already done some strategy work, I'm gonna link our last couple of episodes where I went in depth on how you can prepare for 2024. Also a YouTube video we recently did where myself and a team member, we actually sat down planned out a little bit of what next year is going to look like at Recloseted and we filmed it so you can be a fly on the wall. 
there's lots of resources for you to check out. So thank you again for being here. I am so excited to see what this next year has in store for you. Also for our community at large. I'm going to be continuing to put out all these free resources. I can't wait to support you and just cheer you on. And that's a wrap on this episode. If you got value from this, I would appreciate it if you could take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at Recloseted. Be sure to subscribe to the Recloseted Radio podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode and you have access to all of our valuable resources. And if you're feeling generous, please rate our podcast five stars and leave us a glowing review. I'm cheering you on, and together, let's transform the harmful fashion industry.